0: This is Matt Hurt at Obsessive Viewer on Twitter. This is Ben Sears at Ben Sears on Letterboxd. And this is ObsessiveViewer.com's The Obsessive Viewer Podcast. And welcome to The Obsessive Viewer, where a movie and TV podcast that covers a specific topic, be it genre, trope, movie, or show each episode. You can find more of our work at obsessiveviewer.com. You can also like us on Facebook and join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash the obsessive viewer. And you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer, where you get access to a, uh, bevy of, um, uh... Patreon exclusive recordings and RSS feed with content recorded specifically for Patreon. Uh, we're up to like 92 different recordings. So there is a ton of content there. And, uh, yeah, so check that out. Patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. And also you can buy masks that are branded with our logos, um, at tinyurl.com slash ovmasks. Um, so check that out. Yeah. So I'm your aforementioned host, Matt Hurt, and with me today is newly anointed. Recurring co-host to the podcast and contributing reviewer for obsessiveviewer.com, Mr. Ben Sears. How's it going, Ben? Very good. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. And so we, we didn't have a uh, proper ceremony for <laughs> you to, for your promotion to recurring co-host. Um, so yeah, but basically this is the announcement. Ben is now a recurring co-host on the podcast. And, uh, I have my own, uh, company car
1: and <laughs> you gave me a company credit card. Feels great.
0: The others might listen to this. I can't I can't do that for everyone. Um, no, it was funny because uh when I texted that to you, uh you said does it come with a pay raise? And then I all I thought was you you're one of our patrons, so I should ask you the same question. Mm.
1: Yeah, that is a little conundrum. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, it is. So, (laughs) but yeah, I'm I'm super excited to to have you on board officially, and uh, yeah, so I'm I'm excited for this new era of the obsessive viewer. Same here. Yes, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm super excited, and uh, I figured that uh, we're doing this Ebert's great movies list, and I want to stick to it as much as we can. (laughs) Uh, it's funny because like you had mentioned like we should maybe do it like once a month and then like I started thinking like well with Heartland coming up maybe we could postpone it one month since we'll have a lot of Heartland stuff but I also don't want to lose steam on it (laughs) so we'll have to see Um, but yeah but I guess that's a pretty good segue to Heartland do you want to talk about Heartland? sure okay awesome so uh, Heartland International Film Festival is running from October 8th to the 18th here in Indianapolis and the world because, uh, because of COVID, it is going virtual this year. Uh, like their Indie Shorts Festival in July, they're going to have a virtual film festival, um, this year. And, uh, yeah, Ben, how, how do you feel about Heartland and, um, are you looking forward to it?
1: Yeah, I'm, uh, really looking forward to it. It looks like a really, Good, really fun lineup. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, we should probably also mention, I'm sure you were about to, mm-hmm. but there's going to be the drive-in screenings as well. Yes. Um, oh, yeah. Just like with Indie Film Fest. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, get your cars down to the drive-in. <laughs> right. And, uh, Tibbs Drive-In and Connor yeah, Prairie and this Connor year. Connor
0: Prairie, which that... That I'm really looking forward to. Yeah. Connor Prairie is... um, Colonial colonial? reenactment
1: type of place. I kept
0: wanting to say amusement park, (laughs) but that's not it. Um, Yeah, it's like a colonial, like, uh, what do you say? Uh, Reenactment. I almost said cosplay there. Jeez. Anyway, um, so uh, they're having like a drive-in experience for Heartland, and I'm, I'm looking forward to checking that out. Um, a couple of key dates that I'm excited to share regarding Heartland. Uh, opening night is October 8th at Tibbs Drive-In. They're going to be screening Eat Wheaties, a movie that is uh, opening the film festival. Um, really looking forward to that one. Do you know much about it?
1: No, other than it's got Tony Hale. Yes. So I'm on board just for
0: for that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm really looking forward to it. I have it on good authority that it is good. And, uh, and that, especially with the times we live in now, it's a good lighthearted kind of experience. So, um, I'm looking forward to checking that out, that out. Um, again, It's Thursday, October 8th at 7 PM at Tibbs drive in on the West side here in, on, in Indianapolis. And then a few other key dates they're having, they're having, um, drive in, um drive-in nights pretty much every night of the festival um yeah every night of the festival so i'm not going to run through all of them however i will say that friday night at Tibbs Drive-In there is a documentary at 9:30 called 76 Days is this on your radar Ben yes yeah i'm very much eager to check this out it's basically about the um coronavirus the COVID-19 outbreak uh set in the early days of COVID-19 of COVID-19 outbreak this raw and intimate documentary captures the struggles and human resilience in the battle to survive the pandemic in Wuhan China um very um eager to to check that out
1: and, yeah uh, I uh I I heard really good things about it from yes. uh it was at I want to say Toronto Mm, and a couple of critics that I listened to have uh, said some pretty good things about it. So very cool. Yeah. I'm excited.
0: I I'm definitely looking forward to that. Um, And then at Connor Prairie on October 14th, um, they're having a double feature. That's a a throwback feature of Hitchcock. So they're having a screening of rear, rear window and vertigo. Um, at Connor Prairie i'm very um excited about that too yeah yeah
1: um, i don't know why but i feel like those two movies in particular of Hitchcock's would be really fun out of drive-in
0: oh absolutely oh yeah yeah i i agree um and especially rear window like that is just such a beautiful beautiful movie yeah um yeah so i'm 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 looking forward to to hopefully checking that out one of the good I don't. I don't want to say one of the good things about this year, but one of the kind of bright spots or the silver lining of this of this this year's Heartland is that since it's at drive at drive-ins, like I don't have to take time off of work to yeah. uh, attend the festival. Even though I loved doing that, like <laughs> taking in a day off and just going to the theater and spending all day there, seeing like three or four movies. And talking to people. Like I was, I was thinking about that the other day. Like I, like I, first of all, I'm bummed that I can't go back to the theater. I won't go back to the theater until I'm feel safe going back to the theater. Um, which to like, like not today, but recently I thought like given the state of the world and the state of the pandemic, I, I could see, I could see myself going until March without feeling like confident enough to go, Back to the theater, which is insane to me (laughs) that it will be one year before, uh, like, one year from the last time I was in the movie theater to projecting when I would be comfortable going back, Right, um, which is a bummer. But, like, I was talking to some friends of mine about Heartland, and I was like, I I mean, literally, like, covering Heartland Film Festival is one of the high points of my entire year, every year. Like, I love... Going, going to the festival, I love taking my, I, I love doing the like press junkets and stuff that they do and like t- really, um, <laughs> uh, challenging myself in terms of, uh, talking to filmmakers because I feel like I'm like really out of my element when I do that. <laughs> but it's, it's like a blast. It's a rush and everything. And like this year, it's completely like, different and not going to be that same experience, which is, it, it's a bummer, but I'm happy that they're doing something and that, and that they are uh, putting together something that I think is going to be at, at the very least, a very unique experience for people who do the, who go to Heartland every year. So,
1: right. Yeah. Uh, that being said, there are, if, if people are interested, they are going to have Q and A's and panels uh, for different, I don't know exactly how it works, if it's mm-hmm. specific films or just like a slate of films. Um, but they have on their website, you know, different, uh, Q and A's that you can sign up for or attend.
0: Oh, yeah. Um, and that's, that's one, that's another kind of interesting thing about, about this different type of, um, experience, <laughs> for film festivals. Cause like, I, I, Uh, checked out some of Indie Film Fest, which happened in uh, July. And uh, so one thing that that I think is really interesting is that when they do those Q&As, like at a a conventional film festival, um, you have, I mean, you're screening a film, and then at the end of it, like, (laughs) the people... At the film festival are like, oh, hey, and we have the filmmakers here. And like, like I remember, I think it was last year, or the year before, Kirsten and I went to uh, Heartland and we saw a documentary, um, The Bikes of Wrath. And, uh, it was a charming documentary about, um, a group of Australian guys, uh, who were really big fans of The Grapes of Wrath. So they decided to travel to America and, um, basically do the route that they that they take in the Grapes of Wrath? Oh, okay. But on bicycles, uh huh. And none of them, <laughs> none of them were like professional cyclists or anything. <laughs> and it's a it's a really interesting documentary because the first, I think like like the the first few days, one of them breaks his leg, <laughs> like and that and so the entire trip has to be like adjusted to that. Uh huh. Um, it's really interesting, but anyway. When we saw it in the theater, like we're we're talking like well, like um, it, like we're talking about it and everything, and then the Heartland people were like, "Oh, we have the filmmakers," and like it's the people that were sitting like directly behind us. <laughs> and I was like thinking, like, "Oh God, did I say anything embarrassing?" Wow. Um, but no, it was uh, it like those types of things, and like also, I think in that same screening, um. Like, in in a film festival, when you sit down in the theater and everything, like, I never have this experience outside of the film festival realm, but, like, people will see, like, okay, like, see your badge or something and be like, oh, hey, what have have you seen? Like, just having just genuine conversations with people about it. It's just, it's really, it's really special. But, yeah, so, I'm kind of bummed about that, but... Yeah. Yeah, understandable. Yeah. um something oh a couple other dates to keep in mind for it um there are uh this year is the first year for heartland horror um so that's exciting and at tibbs drive-in on saturday october 17th they're going to be screening um some of the heartland horror stuff i believe um so that's exciting And uh, then the closing night film is Sunday, October 18th, at Tibbs Drive-In, Blythe Spirit, which uh, sounds pretty cool. Cool. Yeah, definitely.
1: uh, You've got it in front of you. Who's in that cast? I know it was someone, Um, at least one or two people, kind of notable. Yes. I know Dan Stevens is in it. Yes,
0: Dan Stevens and someone else. Like, um, It sounds really interesting. Hopefully the... um, Mike is not picking up the ruffling of papers. Um, let's see. Orange presentation.
1: It was on the back of one of those pages.
0: Yeah. What?
2: Yes, I okay. think.
0: Um, oh. Oh. Did you find it? Uh, opening a drawer. Um. Yeah. Yes, well, um, it doesn't have the information on it. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, so yeah, Blythe Spirit is a closer night film, and that's exciting and everything. <laughs> I will also mention, not to put you on the spot, Ben, but your name is in the guide, um, as a pre-screener. So. Oh, fun. Yeah. Just as Ben Sears. That's exciting. Um, yeah. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was a pre-screener. Yeah. Nice. Um, so what, what are you looking forward to with it, with it? Uh, a couple of them. Um, uh, I
1: don't have a fancy printed out, uh, <laughs> version like you do. Feel free to look at this Um thing. I will yeah. say
0: that they don't have like a list of all, well, they have a list of all the movies, but they don't have like, like they usually did in years past. They don't have like each individual movie. With, right. All of the stuff.
1: Um, there's. There's a documentary that I'm interested in called Stunt Women, the oh, Untold Hollywood Story. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty self explanatory title. Yeah. Um, there's a movie with Brian Tyree Henry, mm-hmm. uh, who I'm a big fan of. So um, check that one out. It's called uh, The Outside Story. Mm-hmm. Um there's, uh, there's actually there's a little bit of a crossover between this and indie film fest. I noticed that and some yeah. of them.
0: I think you saw right. It's got yeah. Hum, hum. Um, which I was, which I was a a big fan of. It. Uh, I have a review on the it's like a website. sci-fi horror kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um.
1: There's one called Minari. Uh, which is one of the virtual ones, mm-hmm. which I don't really know much about. Um, the description on here says a tender and sweeping story about what roots us. Minari follows a Korean American family that moves to a tiny Arkansas farm in search of their own American dream. Wow. Um, but I just, I know that one just because. Uh, one of the critics that I follow on Letterboxd, mm-hmm. uh, saw it, I think it's Sundance. Okay. And ranked it pretty high, so, uh, I'm excited to see that one.
0: Oh, yeah, that's the, it's animated? No. No. Oh, it's not? Okay. Wow, why did I think it was animated? Um, yeah, that's the virtual centerpiece screening at Heartland. Uh, yes.
1: Um, there's another documentary called MLK FBI. I am, yeah. Which is another one that came out of TIFF and got some pretty good buzz. Mm. Um, this one, I don't really know much about it, but it's called Picture Character. It kind of, uh, drew my eye. It says, it explores the complex conflict conflict prone and often hilarious world of the creators lovers and arbiters of emoji our world's newest pictorial language
0: that i that hadn't um crossed my radar that's really interesting yeah another
1: virtual one so
0: yeah
1: um but yeah Hmm. uh lots of oh um we talked about this, I think, last time. Mm-hmm. Uh, whenever, whenever we talked about uh, indie, indie film, film fest? fest, yeah, uh, Lake, the mm-hmm. one about the gathering of the vans, yeah, uh, that one I think is ju- it might be playing at one of the drive-ins um, at some point, but it's it's definitely a virtual screening. So yeah. uh, if you can't go see it there, then it's it's here mm-hmm. uh, online. So. Uh, I'll probably check that one out. I didn't get a chance mm. to see it at Indie Film Fest.
0: Uh, me neither. So I'm, I'm definitely interested in checking that one out as well. And, uh, it's one of the Indiana Spotlight movies. Uh-huh. So they have Sleeze Lake, Van Life at the, at its lowest and best. They have Hum, which we talked about. And they also have What Lies Inside, Worth the Wait, Head to Head, and Generation Growth. Um, I don't have their information off the top of my head. Um, in front of me, but. Okay. Um, but yeah, so that's exciting. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we are planning on hopefully the, uh, uh, website having a lot of coverage because we do have access to, to some screeners. So we're, my hope is that we'll like flood the website (laughs) with a (laughs) bunch of reviews. Hopefully fingers crossed. So, um, I have some ridiculous ambitious plans (laughs) for our coverage this year, um, which includes multiple podcast episodes and, uh, a whole bunch of written reviews. So hopefully we can pull that off.
1: And anyone that doesn't hold up their end of the bargain gets their recurring co host, uh, title stripped. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly.
0: Um, it's funny. I, <laughs> um, I'd mentioned to Tiny in the, I think the Patreon recording last time. I was like, hey, do you, do you mind if, uh, if I bump Ben up to recurring co host? And he's like, yeah, absolutely. And then I was like, good. <laughs> Okay, I've got one signature. I need to get the rest. <laughs> um, but, yeah, but yeah, it was a majority. Everyone signed off. Good. Um, yeah, except for one outlier. I won't say who, but... Uh, we all know who it was. She may be hiding under the bed right now. Oh. Um, pizza, not Kirsten. <laughs> I well, should make that clear. You never know. Um, yeah, you never know. She could be hiding under the <laughs> bed. I don't know. Um... <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's interesting. I, uh, oh, this is a tangent, but, um, I actually hung out with Kirsten for like the first time since June, um, because of COVID and everything. And we watched The Invisible Man, which is currently on HBO Max now. It just got to HBO Max. And I had watched it in February and I had like some ridiculous complaints about it. (laughs) Um, and then Fecus and I recorded an episode about it, but then the audio was like lost, which was a bummer. But, um, but yeah, watching it again now, like, I was really into it. Like, all of the problems I had with it were just kind of, like, washed away. Uh-huh. Did you ever check out?
1: I haven't yet, but okay. yeah, I saw that it just got there on HBO Max, so yeah. I'll, fingers crossed, I'll get to watch it before the end of the year. Nice. I've heard almost all good things about it. So. Yeah.
0: Um, I think I was one of the outliers. <laughs> like, cause, and, like, I, liked it um was that the invisible man i think so they weren't (laughs) knocking on this wall were they no i don't think so i hope not i don't know screw it were Um, you knocking on this wall (laughs)
1: knock twice if yes yes.
0: (laughs) okay good anyway so um but yeah i liked it and i like read over my review again and i was like yeah the complaints i had were like kind of pretty unfounded (laughs) um but i'm proud of the content, like the writing okay. of it. So sure. Yeah. I don't know. But anyway, so that that's my anecdote for that. Um, do you have anything else to say about heartland? Um,
1: no, I don't think okay. so. Although, um, kind of like with indie film fest, like mm-hmm. since I was a screener, uh, one of the perks was to get, uh, access to the, like a free, right. free pass. So I think, I don't know exactly how it works, but I think I can gift a, uh, yeah, I, I can gift a voucher to someone if I want to. So if someone wants to, you know, screen a film on there, one of the virtual films, Mm -hmm. uh, it's not good for the drive-in, but, uh, if someone wants to screen a film, but doesn't have the cash just uh hit me up and let me know and I'll gift it to you.
0: Nice. And you can find Ben at I don't know what your address is. <laughs> um yes.
1: Ben Sears photo on Instagram. There you we'll go. We'll just say that.
0: Yeah. Or Ben Sears on Letterboxd. Sure. Um, yeah. Or just email me and I'll get it to Ben. Yeah. Um you know where where to find me. Anyway, <laughs> Let's see what, uh, yeah, I think, oh, uh, just in another kind of brief thing about that, Heartland is using the same, um, kind of apparatus that Indie Film Fest used for their virtual stuff. So it's called Eventive. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I had no problems at all with, with Indie Film Fest's, uh, use of it. So like the technology is like really good. And, uh, really cool. And I think, oh, I, <laughs> I completely got sidetracked because I was talking about the Bikes of Wrath. <laughs> My point to circle back to that is that when you're at a film festival in person, like, okay, you know, they're in an auditorium and you have the filmmakers that will come down and they'll have a Q&A and everything. You get like maybe 15, 20 minutes um before it's you know they have to wrap it up because another screening and everything and then a lot of times like if you have like a lot of different screenings that you're going to you don't get to sit like you don't have time to watch yeah. to watch the Q&A but the cool thing about the virtual stuff and this is something that was really neat with Indie Film Fest is that given the fact that it's it's all virtual and everything they have that time to pad it out so like I watched hum um, at Indie Film Fest, which is at Heartland this year under Heartland Indian Horror. Heartland. Heartland Horror, yep. Um, and I watched it at home for Indie Film Fest. And then I, uh, right after that, I watched the Q&A that they did, which was, I think earlier in the festival, but it was archived. And I mean, they had like a full hour to talk about the movie. And it was like, it was really just. It was really cool because all of the, like, content, like, it was all well thought out, like, questions and everything, and they had, um, viewer questions for, in the chat from when they, from when they were live with it. And, like, it was just really, really a unique experience to be able to watch a, watch a movie at a film festival and then have the time, have, have such an expand, expanded amount of time to just kind of, like listen to the creative people behind it talk about it uh, at such a such a long length. So it was really cool. I really like that. And I hope that that means that Heartland's going to have that same kind of uh um freedom in terms of their Q&As and panels and stuff. Yeah. So yeah. nice. Yep. Um yeah, so I think that we'll, we'll we'll talk more about Heartland when it comes when it comes. Um <laughs> so again, that's October 8th to the 18th. Um you can get vouchers and and passes and everything now they're on sale go to heartlandfilm.org and uh yeah i i'm looking forward to the coverage that we're gonna be doing do you plan on writing reviews for heartland
1: i hope so okay yeah cool Cool. Cool. i know i did i did a couple last year so Mm -hmm. uh yeah yeah
0: did you do um uh the uh was it called go back to china Yes. Did you review that one? Mm-hmm. Okay. I think there's a movie in Heartland this year that is. I don't think it's by the same writer and director, but I think the writer and director of Go Back to China is like an actress in the movie. Oh. Here. Um. Um.
1: Interesting.
0: Yeah. Let me find what it is because that's going to bother me. Oh no no no! It's one of the actresses from the movie. Um, okay. Lin Chen. She is in, I think so. Hi, Pizza. <laughs> um, maybe she's not. Oh, okay. There we go. Okay. So she also, did, she also did additional voices in Ghost of Tsushima. But anyway, she is in a movie called I Will Make You Mine, which is at Heartland. Um, okay. Yeah, it's three women wrestle with life's difficulties while confronting their past relationships with the same man. Um yeah that's oh, fun. Yeah and she stars in it and she is also the director and writer. Um, okay. Also it is also available on Amazon Prime. <laughs> uh so yeah. I think that that's like the only Heartland movie that's also available to stream on Amazon Prime. Um but yeah. Nice. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to it. We'll talk more um as the weeks pass by. <laughs> So, Ben, are you ready to get into our main event? Yeah. Let's do it.
1: No name is more synonymous with film criticism than Roger Ebert's.
0: Even now, my voice is reaching millions throughout the world. Millions of despairing men, women, and children.
3: People say, do film critics have too much power?
0: For those who can hear me, I say, do not despair.
3: We can help a movie. We can help a movie by sharing our enthusiasm. We can't necessarily hurt a movie that is destined to be a big hit anyway.
0: The people have the power to make this life free and beautiful, to make this life a wonderful adventure.
3: And then Rajiv Eber gets what up.
0: What I uh, find very offensive and condescending about your statement is nobody would say to a bunch of white filmmakers, How could you do this to your people? Let us all unite! So. We are going to be continuing, today on the podcast, we're continuing our series on Ebert's Great Movies list, which is a list of like 370-some-odd movies that Roger Ebert, famed critic, um, deemed great in a series of essays that he wrote f- over the course of several years of his career. Um, the quote that accompanies the Ebert great Ebert's great movies list is one of the gifts of a movie lover can give another is the title of a wonderful film. They have not yet discovered here are more than 300 reconsiderations and appreciations of movies from the distant past to the recent past. All of, all of movies that I consider worthy of being called great. So the idea behind the series is that Ben and I are each picking one movie from the list, um, and then doubling up reviews for each segment or each installment of this project for the podcast. So As such, we have uh, selected, this time, the Cabinet of Dr. Caligari from 1920 and uh, Eight and a Half from 1963. So, as is customary in these episodes, this is part three of it? Yeah. (laughs) And, yeah, where where was I? I just got distracted with an email. I'm sorry.
1: You were starting the podcast.
0: I was starting the podcast, (laughs) yes. So, this is Matt Hurt. (laughs) I... just 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 kidding. So, um okay, okay, yeah. So we are going to dive in. So this time this is installment number 3 of our great movies list project. Yep. Uh last time we reviewed was last time Tokyo Story and Yes. Yes. And so this time uh first up for from 1920 as as is customary, we're going chronologically in the pairings. So uh Ben, your selection was The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Yep. So tell me Ben how wh- how did you come to uh refresh the refresh the audience as to why you chose this movie? <laughs> uh
1: really I I knew nothing about this. I just uh my last couple of picks were just kind of random. Uh so this one I just figured like I I went on the website and just searched by year mm-hmm. and uh this is this movie is now 100 years old. So yep. Uh, and I believe it's the only one from that year. Um, that sounds right. So that's, that's really the only reason. Plus, I mean, nice. I, I'm a fan of silent films, so mm-hmm. I wanted to kind of expand my
0: horizons with that. Nice. And, uh, yeah, I, I was very interested to watch this movie. Um, yeah, so uh, just a plot summary, courtesy of Letterboxd, actually, is Francis, a young man, recalls in his memory the horrible experiences he and his fiancée Jane recently went through. Francis and his friend Alan visit the cabinet of Dr. Caligari, an exhibit where the mysterious doctor shows the somnambulist Caesar. Caesare, I don't know how they pronounce it because it's silent. Caesar, <laughs> maybe? Caesar, sure. And awakens him for some moments uh, awakens him for some moments from his death-like sleep. This movie was directed by Robert Wine, uh, and was released in 1920. It is celebrated as perhaps one of the first, if not the first horror movie. Yeah. Um, which is appropriate because we're on the cusp of October. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think this episode will be released before or probably early, like next week. So, in October, um, so Ben, in in non spoilers, as as we are normally want to do here, uh, how'd you feel about the cabinet of Doctor Caligari?
1: I was really impressed with it. Um, the The first thing that will uh, come out at you watching this is the production design, mm-hmm. which is just insane, and it's just it it really just helps to set a tone for like what you're watching mm-hmm. uh if you've never seen it before it's like it's this kind of like surreal uh there are no right angles almost um just everything is at a slant everything is painted weird mm-hmm. um it's just a really bizarre unique look for this this kind of story um so i that was that was what really stuck out to me and what i'll probably remember for a while about this yeah um the story i thought was pretty uh pretty interesting um the I, yeah i i don't know i guess by modern standards it's not really a horror movie right but yeah. Uh, I can see how back then it would have just, it probably would have been just groundbreaking and frightening almost. Totally. Uh, there is some, some easy, like a a sense of dread to a lot of it, especially like this kind of Frankenstein type monster guy, Caesar, who just kind of lurks about and he, if I remember right, like he's, he's a lot taller than everyone else or right.
0: Yeah. He's, he's a lot of the shots of him are, Well, at least I remember from his position in like his coffin (laughs) um, is like, he's, he's of a, of a tall stature. Yeah. Um, the way it's shot is, is definitely highlighting that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I just, the way that he stands out was, was just really, uh, just helped to highlight just this weird kind of place and time.
0: Yeah. Something that I really, really appreciated about it is like, like we said, it came out in 1920. It really feels like it is a, like my, my letterbox review, it just had like a little blurb on it. But the, what I wrote on letterbox was, it's like watching the blueprint for um, an entire genre of film. Oh Yeah. <laughs> And it's just, it's really mesmerizing in the, in that case. Like it is like, I don't know much of anything about like, about German expressionism, which right. I guess is the, like what this kind of really jumped, uh, jump started. Yeah. But it just, it has such a distinct style. And to your point about like the right angles and everything, or the not right angles, um, and slanted camera movements and all that, um, the set design also has like such a, like a, a, uh, an abstract kind of way about it. Like there are so many shots of like a, like a room or something where, where the design or the patterns on the floors and the walls are all like, are all like triangles and, and different yeah. shapes. And it's just, it creates this weird, like surreal reality that you're in. And this, <laughs> I actually read Ebert's essay um yeah and he talks he talks about that and how it's just very um engaging in terms of bringing audiences into this world and i i totally agree with that and i kind of feel like it's such it's also it also feels so much like a precursor to uh, precursor to like the the universal monsters like dracula and yeah. frankenstein um and also it and i i don't know if that's I don't know how much of that is silent film, like the silent film era, or if it's directly influenced by by uh, the Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, like the shots of of the somnambulist almost. <laughs> Some <laughs> uh, Oh my god. Somnambulist. So, uh, yeah, so, uh, somnambulist. Um, kind of attacking and and in a threatening way, just really just made me think of Bela Lugosi as, as Dracula. Um, yeah, it's just, it is so evocative of that. And Dracula, like that version of Dracula came a decade after uh, Caligari. So I thought that was really, really fascinating. That kind of comparison or, yeah. Yeah.
1: I, I didn't realize this when I was watching it, but it really like the, the one that, I think is more well known mm-hmm. from this, like German Expressionist, is Nosferatu. Yeah, but this predated that. Mm-hmm. So, which is another one that we'll be talking about eventually.
0: Yep. And it predated it by, I think, like two years.
1: Yeah. Um. uh yeah. So I, I'm curious how much Nosferatu was influenced by this. Me too. Um. Right. Yeah. Just I, I could see. So many influences coming from this, like you know, like you were saying, just pretty much any like monster movie, mm-hmm. any kind of like slasher movie, any kind of like a psychological horror kind of thing. Yeah, because um, there are elements to that with the uh, the doctor and um, the just the story of him. Yeah. Yeah.
0: In, in the design or I don't know how much of this is just the actor that played the doctor, but the way that his eyes like bulged out right. was just like, I could see being in 1920 and just, uh, like being like kind of uh, taken by that or, or really letting that kind of fester as, as a piece of horror.
1: Yeah. Um, uh, what was I going to say? um, the oh yeah uh it's not just the set designs like there's there's a couple shots early on where uh it's closer up on people's faces and you can definitely see like the makeup that they do on them is just so yeah over the top and more expressive mm-hmm. um so yeah that was just another element to it um there's like you were saying, there's – uh I think when you look at Ebert's review, uh, it's like the banner image. And it, it stuck out to me when I was watching it where the monster is like carrying away the girl. Yeah. And he's like escaping and he's mm-hmm. like walking a- along like some rooftops. Mm-hmm. And it's – the way that these rooftops are uh, designed, it's almost like it's like a flat – path kind of thing. Yeah. But he's it's clearly meant to look like a rooftop mm-hmm. and it just just the winding kind of jagged uh design of that was just really fascinating. It really stuck out to me.
0: Yeah, it it reminds me a lot of the uh the the work of M.C. Escher. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. yeah, I <laughs> I couldn't remember M.C. Escher's name. <laughs> so I just quickly googled crazy stairs. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just it's really it's really incredible like art design for for the sets and and everything, and it's all kind of brings it to a to a point where it is creating this world that is surreal and and strange. Which is I when I was watching because I watched this one after i watched eight and a half uh-huh. and we'll talk maybe we'll talk more about this when we talk about eight and a half but um i was like sitting there thinking like just the luck of us just randomly picking these two movies that are so <laughs> surreal and like off the beaten path in terms of the presentation like, and the world that they're creating
1: dreamlike almost yes
0: yeah um so i, I really i really liked that um yeah for sure yeah um yeah yeah uh yeah uh we forgot to mention that it is available to stream on amazon prime and, and also on canopy canopy yep and uh hoopla which also the uh, okay yeah uh how did you watch it on canopy or amazon yeah. prime uh okay.
1: well no i uh i watched it on amazon because okay. i uh, was able to download it to my phone nice. there so nice yeah
0: Um, I watched it on Amazon Prime also, and I I thought it was funny that they had the little Mill Creek Entertainment, like, watermark on it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I saw that. that. Uh, yeah. I don't know if we really need to do a spoiler.
1: No, probably um, not.
0: For this. It's only like an hour and six minutes. Um, yeah, real quick. So
1: it's, uh, it's a real easily digestible Mm -hmm. piece of, Work, you know, um, for people who are kind of wary of silent film mm-hmm. or who are not really all that experienced with it, yeah. it's an it's a pretty easy entry point. I mean, I agree. the one weird thing is there's later in the film there are a couple like, uh, what are they called title cards or mm-hmm. quote oh, cards yeah. where it's like it's just this big block of text in <laughs> cursive that and you, it's not really filmed all that well. Yeah.
0: So like, I couldn't read. What yeah. Reading. Uh, what it, and like to, it's, those aren't like the, the title, like the, the speech cards or anything. It's like in, in the film, it's like right. they're looking over notes and stuff. Right. Um, but yeah, I was like, I'm, I don't even I, know if I can attempt. Yeah. To read I this. hope this
1: isn't too important because, yeah. uh, I, I couldn't even imagine like, even in 1920, being able to oh, read yeah. that.
0: <laughs> yep. But they do hold on it for a little while, but it's right. like, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, any other thoughts on the cabinet of Dr. Caligari?
1: Uh, I can't really think of much, no. Okay. I mean, it's, nice. it's yeah, great. I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Would this go on your great movies list?
0: Um, you know, honestly, I don't know. Um yeah. I think it definitely stands a chance. Um I think uh I think it could definitely make a great movies list for me on the grounds of its influence and yeah. the historical co- impact of, of the movie. Um I think I will say that it is definitely a movie that I I could see myself revisiting um and and analyzing further and and really enjoying even more (laughs) yeah so a tentative yes for my great movies list how about you
1: i agree yeah um it would i think it would be on the first draft um i mean i'm trying to remember now i i've only seen a couple charlie chaplin movies Mm. and i've seen one buster keaton movie and 1 DW Griffith movie not that one not that one <laughs> okay, <good>. <laughs> <laughs> um but other than that i don't think i've seen any others so this one i would i would say yes just to i mean i love all of charlie chaplin's movies that i've seen so far Me too but i would put this one on here just like you were saying for its influence but also like for a little variety in terms of uh, uh, silent films, I take that back. I have seen. Uh, I'm blanking on the director's name right now. It's called Sunrise. Oh, I've heard about which, that. Yeah, we will. We'll definitely talk about that one. Nice. Okay.
0: Yeah, I've heard incredible things about that. Yes. Huh. Um. Nice. So, are you saying that you give it a thumbs up? Correct. Nice and me too. So we are. This is like the fifth movie in the series. All thumbs up from us, which it's understandable. Great <laughs> movies, but yeah. Um. So yeah, that's our review of the Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. And I just realized what I want to do for when we pick our next ones, um, and I'm really excited about. It, but I'm going to save it for after eight and a half. Um, okay. And I'm kind of curious if maybe you have the same thought. We'll see. We'll see. We'll
1: find out. Yes. Stay tuned, <laughs> listeners.
0: Yes. So that is our review of The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. It is available once again on Canopy and Amazon Prime. And uh yeah, we're going to go ahead and move on to our second review for this episode of uh our Ebert's Great Movies list. Um, here is a piece of the, like, stinger that we have for that um, to break up the things, which is now me calling attention to it, breaking it up, is now making it kind of pointless. Anyway. Well done. Here we go.
3: <laughs> this movie goes through some pretty predictable Paces about their forbidden love But I was never really very interested in the characters In Blade Runner I didn't find it convincing Instead what impressed me in this film Were the special effects The wonderful
0: use of optical trickery To show me a gigantic imaginary Los Angeles Which in the vision
1: of this movie Has been turned into sort of a futuristic a Tokyo great
2: performance in Fargo Is the
3: best movie the Coen Brothers have ever made A quirky, infectious Okay, American- so
0: Eight and a half. I did not read the essay for this one, um, but I will go ahead and read the uh, plot summary and everything. So, Eight and a Half is from 1963. It's directed by Federico Fellini. Um, the plot summary is, according to Letterboxd, is Guido Anselmi... A film director finds himself creatively barren at the peak of his career, urged by his doctors to rest and uh, ha- heads for a luxurious resort, but a sorry group gathers, his producer staff, actors' wife, mistress and relatives. Each one begging him to get on with the show. In retreat from their dependency, he fantasizes about past women and dreams of his childhood. Now, I selected this one for our, uh, for, for this segment or this installment because, on, on a couple of reasons, for a couple of reasons. One, I had never seen a Fellini movie. Okay. And two, um, because Criterion had just announced that they are having a, uh, they're releasing a, box set of the essential Federico Fellini um, in honor of his 100th birthday. So they are releasing that in November, I think, um, or maybe October, but it includes a bunch of his movies. And I don't know if I can justify it, by this, <laughs> but I wanted to watch at least one of his movies um, just to get a, a sense of, of, um, of, of the type of filmmaker he is. And so, in that, uh, on that note, before I get into my kind of broad thoughts on it and everything, Ben, had you ever seen this movie? No. Okay. Had you ever seen a Fellini movie? No. Okay. Interesting. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to talking about it. So, in kind of broad terms and, and my initial reaction to it is that this movie really blew me away. <laughs> like oh, yeah. It is one of the most gorgeous movies I've ever seen. Like from a lighting perspective, from filmmaking perspective, from the way that it creates this anxiety through the camera by having all of these like moving pieces in every scene to just show like this story of this filmmaker experiencing like anxiety over his craft and over his life and the way that it just it plays out in this rich like tapestry of just craziness (laughs) craziness <laughs> um to the point where i felt like i like i had i struggled with figuring out like what's real what's not real what's what is he fantasizing about what like what is reality in this
1: what's a flashback and what's actually happening exactly. in real time oh yeah.
0: yeah and i was just really really taken with it and by the way it is streaming on criterion channel as well as hbo max um and canopy and canopy yep and uh yeah, so Ben, how did you feel about eight and a half? Uh
1: yeah, I I I agree. It I really blew me away. Nice. Um I like I said, I had never seen a Fellini movie before this or before well, between our last recording and this one. Right. Um so kind of as homework I I wanted to watch a couple of his other ones to see how this one compared. Um I watched La Strada and I watched La Dolce Vita. Nice. Um I think both of those are on the list. I know La Dolce I, Vita yeah. is.
0: Uh, I want to say La Strada is too.
1: Maybe. Yeah. Uh who knows? Know. Yeah. <laughs> uh one thing we can talk about later is the uh Ebert websites crappiness when trying to look up things like this. Yeah. But uh but yeah, I, I watched those two and yeah, eight and a half is very different from those two. Okay. Uh, in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. there are some similarities, but, uh, it is very, it's a lot more surreal. It's, uh, a lot more dreamlike. Um, it's a lot, it feels a lot more personal. Mm-hmm. I guess obviously because it it's about a director um, trying to make a movie, and so this main character is clearly a stand-in for him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I would a hundred percent agree. It is a very beautiful movie. Mm-hmm. Um, just trying to narrow down the shots that just blew me away, or that that will stick with me for a while. That, that is uh, a difficult task. Um, uh, there's the shot. I I love this one. Very, it's, it's like the, one of the very first things Mm -hmm. where, I mean, just even just the opening just will hook you instantly. I was going to say, um, it's, it's this, it's in like a traffic jam under a tunnel and it's completely silent. And then all you hear is him breathing and he's like suffocating inside this car. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden he's like floating up, holding onto a balloon. And then you get this amazing, like, I don't even know how they did it. Right. This amazing POV shot, uh, looking down while he's floating up in the air uh, and then he's like, someone is holding a rope to his leg and they pull him down and he falls down to the, to water yes. and it just
0: breathtaking. Yeah. Like that whole sequence is, and it, it is incredible. Cause like I went into it thinking, I don't know what I was thinking about it, but I yeah. knew that it was about kind of a guy trying to retreat from his life. Essentially. I did not expect it to be so ephemeral and and dreamlike yeah so that opening scene like it it reminded me it made me think a lot of like the twilight zone because like those people in the traffic jam with him are like looking completely like it specifically reminded me of the episode from season one of the original twilight zone called elegy but the all of the people in the other cars are just staring at him and not moving or anything which is kind of the plot of elegy but um but it's just, it's so evocative of what he's going through, just right from the outset. It's like, okay, this is a man who is experiencing like some heavy anxiety and, and personal crisis and, uh, crisis of, of identity and everything. And it's demonstrated so beautifully and visually in this opening sequence. And that just, like you said, it just reels you into what is a ride that does not let up. <laughs> yeah. And I've got to commend. Criterion Channel, by the way, because Criterion Channel, when it first launched, I had a lot of problems with the with the uh, UI of it in terms of scr- like like straight uh, casting videos or casting casting from my phone to my TV with my Chromecast, which was really the only option that I had other than watching it on my laptop and still all like still the only option I really have and everything. So. um but something like somehow it changed because when uh when Criterion Channel first launched like it was it used some kind of video like whatever like uh UI that's from Vimeo but every like few seconds it would skip or like it wow. would buffer and it was like unwatchable so i went a long time without really watching anything on criterion channel but now I have no problems with it. Okay. Um, and the picture quality is, is pristine and everything. So it's really good. And that's one thing that just blew me away was the picture quality in eight and a half. Like, just, it yeah. is one of the most striking movies I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah.
1: it's like almost every shot just feels, purposeful and absolutely uh like there's an artistry behind almost every shot yep and um one of the uh essays that ebert wrote um he i I don't know exactly what the reception was to it at the time Mm -hmm. but he kind of quoted uh one negative review Mm -hmm. and said that the this person was saying that like Fellini is uh more focused on images than ideas in this hmm. and i mean Ebert's Ebert's point was how like that's not necessarily a bad thing because movies are a visual uh medium right. and these images are stunning yeah really. um but but yeah i mean there's the ideas there are very well thought out and mm-hmm. just really meaningful as well uh it it definitely feels like a personal uh kind of essay almost on the creative process and just yeah. what that is like
0: absolutely and something that i uh kind of thought about or kept finding myself thinking about, uh, as, as the movie was going on was how much I feel like, um, Charlie Kaufman, I feel like may have, um, used the techniques or or the kind of the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, the kind of the, the style of this movie has, uh, influence on his, uh, take on I'm thinking of ending things, which just hit Netflix recently. I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I got that same vibe and I was like this, that would be an interesting double feature. (laughs) Um, I think
1: to that point, I think I haven't seen a whole lot of Charlie Coffin's movies. mm -hmm. Um, Either as a writer or a director, mm-hmm. but uh, I, from what I remember, I feel like Kaufman is a little more like bleak, yeah, in his outlook. Oh, and this is a lot more, not necessarily positive, mm-hmm. but it's it's definitely not as bleak, you yeah, know.
0: It's it's more. Um, I I definitely get what you're saying. It, it kind of feels like more of a um, a journey rather than like being grounded in cynicism. So right. like, it has this cynicism in it, but it feel I feel like the character is it, like there's there's room for growth that the character goes through throughout the movie. Whereas like with like Charlie Kaufman's approach it kind of feels like it's a little bit rooted in that kind of cynicism and inescapable cynicism. Right. Uh arguably or potentially inescapable. Um yeah, which by the way, I <laughs> I just because I I couldn't remember if you'd if you'd seen I'm thinking of thing uh, thinking of ending things yet, but I looked on Letterboxd in your review, your little blurb on that was great. It's uh take that Robert Zemeckis, <laughs> which yep. I, I appreciated that. Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I can't. I I just can't get over just the visuals of of eight and a half and. It explores the, – the movie explores the character's kind of history and his relationships and and everything. And I'll, I'll admit wholeheartedly, I found myself at various points kind of being a little lost in the weeds. Like I, I didn't – I couldn't keep straight who was who and, and what okay. the relationships were. So I do need to go back and revisit it and, and watch it again. But I, I just – I was really sh- – stricken by the kind of overall emphasis of, of like what these interactions and these character dynamics mean for him as a person. Um, Right. Yeah. One, one part I thought was just really out there and crazy was the, uh, the harem sequence. Yeah. Uh, Which I thought was really like, it was beautifully done and and incredible, but it was like, it felt like just really just crazy to me and like in a, in a good way. So, um,
1: right. Uh yeah, I I believe I know what you're talking about, where he's surrounded by all the women in his life. Yeah. And he the one is they, aging out. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh yeah, that is that is definitely a, a pretty memorable sequence. Yeah. Um uh, yeah, I I would also like to watch this again. Mm-hmm. Um not only like you were saying to try and nail down the relationships and who these other characters were but uh just it it almost i don't know maybe this is kind of a cliche but it feels kind of like a puzzle Mm -hmm. almost where there's there's just something more that you know that that i feel like i can discover or uh or understand better on a second viewing
0: i feel yeah it feels like something that you can't get all of the nuance of it from from a single viewing yeah yeah um i do want to mention um i had tweeted about criterion channel and my cat is (laughs) disruptive so i tweeted about like uh criterion channel and everything and friend of the show michael goldberg uh commented on it and uh, i had a little nice little um Twitter conversation with him. So basically I mentioned I need to use Criterion Channel more. And he said it's worth it. And then I had mentioned like currently watching Eight and a Half for the first time. Incredible. And he said yes, one of my all time favorites. And then I'd mentioned that it's the first Fellini movie. And he said, Great intro, he's amazing. And he recommended that recommended that I check out Toby Dammit and Amarcord uh-huh. and also Fellini's Roma. Um, so those are definitely now on my radar. Okay. And, uh, yeah, uh, and I know, okay, and, uh, just, uh, okay, so also Michael Goldberg, uh, he is going to be on, this is going to go up before that, but tomorrow, Wednesday, uh, September 23rd at 8 p.m. Eastern, he's going to be on a panel for uh, or a live Q&A and everything for, um, titled In Real Life, Director Michael Goldberg. It's a free live stream Q&A of his award winning, uh, film, Surefire, uh, which he also has a podcast about, uh, Surefire. Um, hmm. yeah. So check that out. I'm sure it'll be archived. Um, I guess it's being put on by Soapbox Gallery, I think. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes and everything. Nice. Yeah. So yeah. Um, anything else stand out on eight and a half um what did you
1: think about the uh the whole spaceship thing
0: um the second that i saw the like big set piece of the the scaffolding and everything i i mean that was like one of the most awestruck moments I had in the movie.
1: Yeah, that blew me away. Like yeah. just just to think about how how much time and mm-hmm. probably money went into just building that.
0: Yes. Oh yeah. And it just it looked just gorgeous. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's um.
1: I, I I just uh before they actually showed it, like there were there were a couple times when people were referencing like this spaceship that he was building and yeah. it just felt like such a funny little like throwaway kind of thing yeah about like this serious director who's <laughs> building a spaceship in his next movie yeah and it it almost kind of felt like a dig at
0: sci-fi but yeah i don't know as as a as a fan of science fiction, I definitely felt a little slighted. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I did uh, I did get that vibe too. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: um, I also I just want to mention um, I didn't look this up until after the, our last recording. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar at all with the Sight and Sound poll?
0: Um, I'm familiar with Sight and Sound as a concept i know that they have like
1: well sight and sound are two of the senses of
0: all (laughs) humans (laughs) um (laughs) but anyway nice nice um but yeah i'm familiar with it i know that they have like uh uh it's one of the lists that are like on letterboxd um yeah it's like sight and sound i don't know what the name of the list is or if it has a specific name but anyway yeah is it a magazine or
1: um yeah i think so. It's. I think it's well uh, published in the journals. September. Uh, the the Wikipedia article I'm reading is from September 2012. Okay. Um, but it's it's published by the British Film Institute.
0: Oh, gotcha.
1: So every ten years since 1952, they uh, put together the greatest movies of all time list. Wow. Uh, and it's based on critics, programmers, academics, and distributors. And what? there's also a separate di- directors list mm-hmm. based on 358 directors and filmmakers. Wow. So, um, I didn't look this up, like I said, until after the last recording mm-hmm. that we did, but the most recent one was from 2012. Uh, number one, Vertigo.
0: Okay, nice.
1: Number two, Citizen Kane. Number three, you want to guess what it is? I'm going to (laughs) guess... Little (laughs) Nicky. Ah, close. Okay. (laughs) Tokyo Story. Oh, really? Number three, yeah. Oh, nice. Um... And we'll, we don't have to go through every single one of them, but right. num- number 10 is 8 uh, eight and a half. Nice. And then the, the director's list mm-hmm. uh, from 2012, number one, Tokyo Story.
0: Wow, yeah, okay.
1: Pretty, uh, pretty great. Very good. Uh, cool. Number four, eight and a half. Nice. So uh, number one, Tokyo Story. Number two, 2001. Mm, nice. Number, I guess it was a tie, because uh, mm. it says number two, Citizen Kane. Number
0: four, eight and a half. Oh, interesting.
1: Yeah. So wow. um yeah.
0: Very cool. Well uh, worth it, I would say. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty um, I,
1: I can see I can see why uh, this is so widely beloved
0: by critics. Absolutely. And I could see I, I know that I'm going to hopefully make this a priority at some point, but if you have Criterion Channel it does have um, eight and a half has a commentary track available on Criterion Criterion Channel, so I'm gonna definitely check that out. And it also has a bunch of little um, segments with uh, filmmakers. Um, so, like, they have like uh, I think Ryan Johnson does one, um, but they have like little like conversations with filmmakers where they just talk about what the movie means to them. Uh-huh. And I mean, I, I was looking at the list, and it was like there's there's a there is a plethora of content, um, on a and a half. So Ryan Johnson, uh, Paul Feig, um, Michael Cunningham, uh, Terry Gilliam, um, a bunch of, a bunch of people. That sounds awesome. Yeah. And there's also a documentary about Fellini on there. Um,
1: okay. Yeah. Yeah, There's a documentary on canopy about Fellini that I tried watching. Okay. And I don't know. It wasn't really a documentary. It was like um, this like, reenactment of his early life. Uh, I don't know. It was kind of weird. Okay. Um, hmm. I don't know if I'll get back to it, but yeah. uh, it was not what I, I was expecting. But okay. But I'll um, report back later.
0: Nice. So it, do you know the name of it, i think?
1: It's called uh, How Strange to be Called Federico. Oh, okay. Let me look that up. Yeah, How Strange to be Named Freder- Federico. Wow. It's on Canopy.
0: Okay. Uh, I just re- Man, I just remembered a joke I was going to make about The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Dang it. <laughs> um, anyway, um, uh, it's stupid. I'm not going to. Anyway, it's too late. So, um, I think it goes without saying, but Ben, great movies list. Would you put it on your own? Yeah, absolutely. Nice. And would it be a thumbs up? Yes. Nice. Same here. Um and I'm very eager to dig into more of Fellini's work. Um, yeah, um yeah.
1: It, a, a decent amount of his movies are available on streaming. Yeah. So,
0: oh, and La Strada is not on the great movies list.
1: Oh, okay. So, uh this one and La Strada are on Canopy mm-hmm. and I it says that there's six on of his films on Canopy, but I know one of them is kind of like a anthology kind of thing oh, okay. where he just directed a segment of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then HBO Max, I'm searching. Uh, mm-hmm. This one, uh, like you said, is on here. Mm-hmm. Um, there's five of his movies... All together on HBO Max. Okay. Uh, one of them is Armour Chord, mm-hmm. uh, which is nice. another one on this list. Mm-hmm. I think Juliet of the Spirits is as well, maybe? Okay. I don't, I don't remember.
0: Yes. Um, from what I can gather... Um...
1: Again, the yeah. Ebert website is not the greatest <laughs> at yeah. these kinds of things. Which, like... Kind of to tie it back to Tokyo Story, I think mm-hmm. I had mentioned last time that there's only two of his films on the list. Oh yeah, but I discovered shortly afterwards that that is not the case. Okay, uh, there's like what I say, like five of his movies on right. the list. So if anyone out there was listening and liked Tokyo Story, mm-hmm. uh, there are definitely more of his on this list to get to.
0: Yeah, and did we? Did you? Did you ever determine if his? Um if Ozu's season movies were connected, or...
1: Um, I don't think I did. Okay. Uh, I think they are loosely related. Okay. I, I think I found out one of the actresses in Tokyo Story is in most, if not all of them. Okay. But I don't know if she plays the same character or what. Mm-hmm. So.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. Okay, um, so I think that'll do it for the review of Eight and a Half.
1: Did you say? Oh, you you did say if this this would go on your list. Yeah. Are you? Uh, will this push you over the
0: edge to buy the Fellini Ooh. box set? You. Kn- <laughs> <sighs> I, I want it. I want it so badly. <laughs> yeah. But I can't. I don't know if I can justify the purchase. So, the set is currently available on, to pre order on Amazon. Um, ugh, I think it's like a 15 disc set with 14 of his movies. Um, by the way, you had mentioned, uh, privately to me, um, oh god, um, <laughs> the complete films of Agnes Varda. Yes. Uh, those movies are on, uh, Criterion Channel. Okay. Yeah. Uh but the Fellini set comes out November twenty fourth and on Amazon you can pre order it right now for two hundred dollars. Oh boy. The list price is two hundred and fifty dollars. <laughs> so oh the mental gymnastics. Yeah. I, uh, I I want it, but I I I don't know. We'll see. Uh we'll see closer to the release of it. Um actually I just got an idea and I it's a terrible idea. <laughs> yeah. another mini series. No 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 <laughs> uh, the terrible idea I got was like maybe I could justify buying it because uh, next month is a three pay period or three pay mm. day month. Mm, I don't know. will make sense we'll see. to me yeah, but it's well, not my money. Yeah, that's true. But then again, also I, I, I'm still going through the Godzilla set. I've got the uh, Universal Monster set. I've got the um, uh, Ingmar Bergman set that I ha- haven't even opened. In um, <laughs> a plethora of other stuff. So we'll M- see. We'll
1: see. M- Mitch McConnell, if you're listening, number one, <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> right. Number two, uh, release the stimulus package so Matt can buy yes. his. Yes. Blu-rays.
0: <laughs> That's why we need another <laughs> stimulus bill or sim- stimulus check. Oh, God. Okay. Well, anyway. Um, so, as is customary, I think we should we should wrap up a little bit. I don't know if we'll do a potpourri. If you want to check out our potpourri... Uh, check out Patreon. Um, $1 per month gets you access to an exclusive RSS feed with content recorded specifically for Patreon. This time around, we did kind of a loose conversation about things that we've watched lately. So if you want to check that out, go to patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer and pledge $1 per month. Um So, Ben, as is customary with these episodes, we will be picking our next pair of movies. Yep. Now, I have an idea that I just came up with midway through this. <laughs> now, um I say we could still... P- if if you go for this, we could still pick the movies. But my 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 pitch is that at Heartland Film Festival, October 14th, at Connor Prairie, they're doing Hitchcock Night. Okay. Rear Window and Vertigo. Both mm. are on the Ebert list. My pitch... Is maybe we go to that, we see the movies, <laughs> and then maybe not that same night, but another night, we record the next installment of this covering those two movies. Oh, man. Um... And just for the record, I'm saying this as a single man with no kids. <laughs> <too>. <laughs> Which I am not. Yes. Uh, (laughs) I don't know
1: if I'll be able to get there and be at Connor Prairie. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, damn. Yeah. (laughs) That does sound fun.
0: Right. Uh,
1: what do you think?
0: I am totally game for it. Okay. But... I don't want to put you out or anything. So, here's what I think. We can put a pin on that idea. We can go ahead and pick our selections for next time. If it so happens that we are able to get the logistics worked out for Rear Window and Vertigo, we go ahead and do that. And then we just push the selections that we make today or the next one after that. Yeah. Okay? Sure. Awesome. Okay. So, um... I haven't really picked one. <laughs> uh, what is your selection for the next edition of the Ebert's Great Movies list review series on ObsessiveViewer.com or ObsessiveViewer podcasts featuring <laughs> Matt and Ben covering the Ebert's Great Movies list um, in its um, entirety, two movies at a time?
1: <laughs> is there more? Nope. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, all right, well, it's my turn to throw you a curveball. Okay. Uh, so, I also could not really decide. So, here's what I'm gonna do. I am going to let you pick my pick.
0: (laughs) Oh, ooh, I like that! And then, will you be picking my pick?
1: I can, if you want me to. Okay. So, I, I narrowed it down to a couple of these... Oh, um, I see. I Okay, yeah. 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 Uh, <laughs> no, I'm not. I, I, I'm too much of a control freak to gotcha. let it completely slide to you. Sure. Um, so I narrowed it down to, uh, we'll say four.
0: Okay. And
1: okay. really the only uh, connecting thread between these is that they're more recent okay. movies. I wanted to do something more recent since... What the most recent one that we've done so far is like 1985. Yeah, after, after hours. hours. Yeah. So, okay. So here's your options. Okay. All right. Uh, Alexander Inurito's "Babel" from okay. uh, 2006. Mm-hmm. Uh, "Eternal Sunshine" is "Spotless Mine," uh, "Lost in Translation," or "Mulholland Drive."
0: Ooh, um, um, hmm.
1: Matt is sweating. His, yes.
2: Uh, um,
1: his eyes are getting red.
0: My veins arm's are getting tingling. Veins
1: are bulging from his forehead. Chest is tightening. <laughs> <laughs> Knees weak. Arms are sweaty.
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Mom's spaghetti. <laughs> um, what was the first one again? Babel. Babel,
1: Eternal Sunshine, Lost in Translation, Mulholland Drive.
0: Mm, You know what? I am going to go with the one that I don't want to see, that I want to see the (laughs) least out of that batch. And the reason why is because this is a filmmaker that I've never really connected with. And I've been kind of, I don't know, I've kind of avoided his work. But I'm going to go with Mulholland Drive. Okay. Yes. David Lynch made that, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Okay.
1: <laughs> you know, I'll I drive. I uh it's funny you picked that one because I uh am a loyal listener and I listened to your last episode with Tiny and mm. I think you mentioned that you don't really care for him as I a filmmaker. Did. So um yes. And I would say that I agree sort of um from what I've seen from him, but mm. Yeah. Um, nice. Right on. Okay. Uh, now for the bad news. I don't oh. think that uh, Mulholland Drive is streaming anywhere. Oh, yeah. Uh, it might hmm. be on Criterion. I don't know. I know... Well, you can rent it on VOD. Mm-hmm. You can't buy it. Um oh, that's interesting. But you can ran it at the library
0: yeah yes um and yeah it is not available to stream anywhere but it is available on vod so okay yeah um okay and to to just uh the directed by david lynch from 2001 uh just to give the plot summary should we do that do we do that i don't know uh no yeah Uh, Blonde Betty Elms uh, has only just arrived in Hollywood to become a movie star when she meets an enigmatic brunette with amnesia. Meanwhile, as the two set off to solve the second woman's identity, filmmaker Adam Kesher runs into ominous trouble while casting his latest project. So, yeah. Um, Okay, cool. And I think I have selected mine. And let me pull it up here. I think... Okay, so... No, I'm not going to go through a whole song and dance of why. This just (laughs) caught my eye because I've never seen it. From 1991, directed by Oliver Stone, it is JFK. Okay. Yes. The plot summary is, This acclaimed Oliver Stone drama presents the investigation into the assassination of President John F. Kennedy, led by New Orleans District Attorney Jim Garrison. So this movie is available to stream on HBO Max as of this recording, so uh, September 22nd. (laughs) Um and it is available on VOD elsewhere. Okay, so yeah, uh, JFK and Mulholland Drive. Oh, this will be fun because this will be the first time that my movie goes first. How <laughs> um, about that? Yeah. All right.
1: Well, we have <sighs> sorry f- sorry in advance to the listeners because that one I just looked up is over three hours long. Yeah, it's like three and, and a half and uh, Mulholland Drive is like two and a half. Shit. So. Yeah, it
0: is. Uh yeah sorry guys.
1: <laughs> well if we if we go ahead with the Hitchcock thing I'll have extra it'll give, time to prepare.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah yeah. <laughs> um, all right well I think that'll do it for this episode of the Obsessive Viewer. Uh Ben welcome officially as the uh as as a recurring co-host on the podcast. Thank so, you. Yes um, uh let's see I will be making a. I don't know, adjustments to the... I'll make a thing on the website so you can see under uh, recurring co So, anyway, uh, I think that'll do it for this episode of The Obsessive Viewer. Um Yeah, check... Oh, by the way, again, check out our masks. Go to tinyurl.com slash ovmasks. Um, they're fine, <laughs> <laughs> but they look cool. So, yeah. All right, well, once again, I think this is the third time I've said it, or maybe fourth. That'll do it for this episode of The Obsessive Viewer. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for listening and we'll see you next time. And now, here's a short clip from our Patreon exclusive RSS feed. To hear the full clip and more exclusive Patreon content, go to patreon.com/obsessiveviewer and become a patron at the minimum rate of $1 per month. Thank you and enjoy. Uh yeah, so Feels Good Man is a documentary
1: about the creator of the Pepe the Frog uh, cartoon. That's right. Who started out as a character in a comic strip from this just average guy mm-hmm. in California. Okay. Uh, nothing really special about him, just kind of a weird-looking frog kind of guy. Right. And uh, he gets turned into a meme, and then that just evolves and he gets turned into this symbol of like right wing, well, alt right, mm-hmm. like hatred and, uh, just all these awful things that he, the creator just had no part in or no intention yeah. to start. And it's just a really interesting, uh, look at this guy who huh. he, he created something that he really was really passionate about and then, this thing got taken away from him basically Jeez. uh without any of his control hmm yeah uh
0: was it available to stream
1: no it's okay. uh you can rent it on VOD gotcha. anywhere um, i'd i would recommend it it's worth the price nice um yeah it is definitely on my radar there's there's a probably 5 to 10 minute segment in that documentary Where it's just, I just, it just fucking blew my mind. It was, so it goes, it follows, um, this group of people who, um, they basically created their own cryptocurrency, but with Pepe the frog memes. Okay. (laughs) So they, they actually, they follow this guy who, Drives a Lamborghini and is basically a millionaire okay. because he's made his fortune from these fucking Pepe the Frog memes. What? And it's so bizarre. Like they, huh. they go to this auction where they auction off these memes. Wow. And it's just, huh. it just blew my mind. It was so Jeez. bonkers. And I never, never saw that coming. Never would have, <laughs> uh, would have thought that that would be even a real thing. I wow. guess maybe it's just my naivete about the internet, but <laughs> right. um, like I I would love to see just an entire documentary just about those people oh, yeah. and their like day-to-day lives. Jeez.
0: <laughs> I can't. I, yeah. Um, yeah. One of the, one of the uh, letterbox reviews on it um, was what if the internet was a mistake? Yeah. <laughs> Fair Which, question. Yeah, I I agree. I agree. Um, well that's cool. I have watched a few things. Um, uh, he. well, uh I don't think I'm allowed to talk about this until the second, but <laughs> it'll be up by then. Anyway, possessor. Um, <laughs> the Brandon Cronenberg movie, is that on your radar at all? Mm-mm. It's um it's not very good. <laughs> I didn't really care for it. Um it's funny cuz like I got a press screener for it and I actually got one for for Mike because he and I were going to review it since he's all into horror and everything. Yeah. And it was an interesting experience for me because I I went into it having not watched the trailer or knowing anything about it. And I had this like interesting like anxiety because that's one, one thing that I kind of don't, it's not that I like it about living in COVID times, but the fact that I'm not in the theater every week, it's like I'm not seeing trailers. Yeah. Like I'm not seeing like a dozen trailers a week. Right. Um, so I can go into something completely blind. And so with Possessor, um, let me show you the the cover the the poster image. It's like it it creeped me out when I saw it and I thought oh this is going to be like a trippy ass horror movie.
1: Okay. Yeah, I've it, seen that poster before, yeah. Okay.
0: It's it's basically a kind of mask-like thing that's it's gross and weird. Yeah. There's no eyes. Yes, there's no eyes. It's like the whole face is like drooping off of it. <sighs> Just it it disturbs me, but watching the actual movie so so like it was interesting that i went into the movie not knowing anything about it thinking like oh this is going to be like a a big like gore fest that's going to be like super super gross and everything and i'm not good with that right <laughs> so i like i was i was kind of bracing myself for that but no it's 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 a pretty dry um sci-fi thriller more than horror hmm. Um, there are spurts of like ultraviolence that is intense and like really like nearly gratuitous but in a somewhat artistic way. But the whole movie that's wrapped around it is like an amalgam of concepts from The Matrix, um Inception, and uh one other reference that I was gonna make, but I can't uh pull off Oh, the Matrix the Matrix, Inception and there's a third one. Um, <laughs> uh, oh, and Black Mirror. So it's okay. basically, yeah, it's it's basically about a a woman who is like a an assassin that is hor- that is that is uh, hired by corporations and they basically kidnap people from the corporation and she, or yeah, I guess I don't know. Basically she gets put into their mind. And so she controls their bodies and everything and then sets it up so that they get killed or something like that. Okay. So it's kind of, it's this interesting like espionage thing, but it spends way too much time just focusing on her adjusting to the life of this guy that she's inhabiting. And it's like, it's just so dull and and just not that engaging. And then it's like, it's like a, a little bit over an hour and a half long and about an hour into it is where the movie kind of doesn't shift, but the plot like really ramps up. And I'm like, this <laughs> This turn of the plot is something that should have been done like half hour into the movie <laughs> to make it engaging for the rest of it. Because I was like, oh, this is an interesting, like like uh an interesting development in the plot and then I'm like, oh, I have like twenty five minutes left in this thing. Like I'm like, okay, I'm in I'm somewhat invested now, but I kind of wish that I had an hour left of this to explore this concept. Right, yeah. And so it was just kind of it was it was disappointing. And then like (laughs) Mike Mike watched it and then like we didn't set up a a time to record or anything, and then a few days later I was like So when do when do you want to record about Possessor? And then he's (laughs) like honestly I don't know if I want to (laughs) because it wasn't really his type of movie. Right. Um so yeah, so i don't know i'm working on a written review of it and we'll see um, okay <laughs> but yeah it wasn't it was you might get something out of it but i i wasn't into it okay yeah is it uh netflix or it is i'm no no it is gonna have a vod release october 2nd okay and i don't know past that if it's gonna be streaming anywhere
3: okay The Obsessive Viewer podcast is edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by obsessiveviewer.com. For a full archive of our episodes, go to obsessiveviewer.com slash OV Archive. You can also like our Facebook page and join the OV Facebook group at facebook.com slash the obsessive viewer and follow us on Twitter at obsessive viewer and at obsessive tiny and follow our recurring co-hosts at I am Mike white. That's me at R a fecus and at burger underscore lurker. If you enjoy the show, please take a couple minutes to leave us a rating and a quick review on Apple podcasts. This is the easiest way to support what we do and all it costs is a little bit of your time. For official Obsessive Viewer merch, including shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more, visit our TeePublic store. You can find a link to the store in the show notes of this episode and at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate. Or you can simply search for Obsessive Viewer at TeePublic.com. tee For information about our annual live event showcasing short horror films from local filmmakers, check out ShocktoberinIrvington.com. And for an archive of all our events, as well as news about potential future events, head over to ObsessiveViewer.com slash live. For more podcast content, you can find Anthology, Matt's solo podcast covering The Twilight Zone, and other classic and contemporary science fiction anthology TV shows at AnthologyPod.com and on Twitter at OVAnthologyPod. The theme music for the obsessive viewer comes courtesy of the band Loudlike from their EP Mistakes We Must Make. Additional bumper music is provided courtesy of As Good As It Gets, which can be found at Facebook.com slash As Good As It Gets Band. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.
0: Kitty!